Are you intimidated? Why are you? He said he took a run before this because he was nervous. Now he's no, said, because I've been Sean. on a lot of podcasts, but like they're usually kind of small. You know, it's like I see you guys as like Joe Rogan for business. So it's like this one step oh, wow. ab- above is like Joe Rogan, and then it's you guys, and then below is like yeah, I don't want to diss all the podcasts I've been on. They're amazing, but you know, like this is like a level. So, uh, but it's good, you know. I'm it's a Peter levels. So. And you also don't know what Sam might ask you because Sam might just come out of left field and be no, like, "No, but that's the thing." Know. I was thinking like Sam is like he's not a regular uh, interviewer, you know. He, he asks some crazy <laughs> shit. So wait, uh, me first yeah, of all, I, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if we first of all, it's not just me. It's you too, Sean, that asks weird stuff. But also, I don't think we ask that weird of questions. I think we ask the questions that everyone's thinking. No, that's true. But I, I mean, you're not yes man. Like you know, there's yes man podcasts where like they just it's kind of like a fan thing. Obviously, yeah. that's not you guys. You have real shit, real questions. And that's, I think it's more interesting as, as well. Can we, cool. Sam, can we share the thing you were just telling us in Slack? Can I share that on here on the pod? Yeah. The Sam, Wait, which one? The, the <laughs> Sam Parr strategy for networking. This is, um, you know, you can go to Harvard. You can go to Stanford. You're not going <laughs> to learn this one. <laughs> Sam has this habit. This. Where if, uh, like, you know, it's a very small little tweak, but it's just so Sam that it just is awesome. So if you're, if Sam wants to hang out with you, he'll text you just like a normal person would, but, and he doesn't need to even know you. He's just like interested in you. Maybe, maybe it's a cold DM. Maybe it's a text message. Maybe he got your number from somebody else. Like, Hey, it's Sam. Uh, you know, I'm in San Francisco, but instead of saying want to hang, Sam will just go, I'm in San Francisco. Let's (laughs) <laughs> dude he's, he he sent me some shit that i won't uh say out loud but yeah but i think it worked <laughs> yeah so sam what what is this and why does it work so well <laughs> it's like a phrase like you know like people will be like uh you know i fuck with that guy like i, I fuck with drake i like drake it, it it extends from that and i just say it and people uh they reply. I don't know. I just yeah. So I, this particular one, I, it was a CEO of a, a multi-billion-dollar company who I'm friendly with. I just said, "What's up? I'm in your hood. Let's." F-. And he goes down. When? So, yeah. Like it worked out. It's amazing. <laughs> and now, so normally we try to play it cool, but we've actually been chasing you, Peter. We've been we've been talking about your projects. We've been being like, "Hey, we got to get this guy in the pod." Sam is a fan of you for sure. I would say. I am less of a fan than Sam, but I am a, I'm, that doesn't mean I like you. It's just, I'm more in the closet about it. Whereas Sam is very open. <laughs> Sam's like, this guy's amazing. This guy's like an artist. Thanks man. This guy's got great hair and you do have great hair. So it's all true. Thank you. And now Thank we you. finally got you here and it was hard, I think. Right. Cause you like, don't do, you don't schedule or something like that. Like, I mean, it, it, like you, it looks like being an ass, right. On the internet, if you do that, but I, <laughs> Like, like you guys, I would get so many DMs and they're all like, I mean, generally they're very low quality DMs, right? Like I want to collaborate, but I don't want to invest. Uh, I don't want to, like people want something from you. I think it's like being a hot girl in the club. Like people want something from you, but they don't want to invest the time to actually get to know you or, you know, you feel like an object and I don't like to feel like that. And I want to um, spend more time with, you know, like with my friends in real life, with uh, my girlfriend or something. I want to spend time on in the gym, you know, on my health and cooking food and, and that kind of stuff. Go for walks. And uh, I think because I, because I've been doing this for 10 years, like startups, like eight years, and now I get the money's going well. So I don't really need to do any calls anymore, any DMs. So I'm just trying to create a more chill life. And I'm not an asshole. It just means like I don't have time to met, to reply to everybody. So I close my DMs and 
And then people got really angry on tweets. They're like, why don't you, why do you close your DMs? Are you arrogant and stuff? So I wrote a blog post, like kind of explaining my day and my routine and what I do in a day and that I don't really have time if I do all the things I do now to also DM everybody and reply everybody and do calls and stuff. Um, and that's pretty much the arguing, argument and for l- it. Let's give the context. So let's explain who, you, who the yeah. heck you are. So uh, your name is Peter Levels. You're known on um, Twitter as Levels.io, right? Yeah. That's the, uh, that's the right yeah. way to say it. I saw you a while back. I'm just going to say some interesting things about you. I believe now you can correct me if I have any of these wrong. I believe you publish how much you make every year. And in fact, it's in your Twitter bio, in your location. There's like a meter <laughs> that's yeah. like your road to three million a year. Yeah. And it says 2.7 million. So your, your meter is almost all the way full, filled up. Um, you build a bunch of random small projects, usually around some things you like or believe or your lifestyle, which is kind of a nomadic lifestyle. So I believe uh, I think you 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 hop around or you, you don't have like a home base. So you live, you know, you could be like in Bali and then you could be in the Netherlands. You could be a different place all the time and you make these small websites or apps. And it says in your bio that you have 13 million monthly active users. Um, and I've I remember seeing you because you did a community uh, like a like a nomad community a Slack community really early on, like Slack had just come yeah, out yeah. and I was like, Oh, this guy's job? like charging 10 bucks. of, I think it was 10 bucks a month or something to get into this thing. I was like, he's got like a thousand people in here. Wow. This is actually, this guy's making good money doing this. Um, like just by making a Slack group and you just do a bunch of ex- small experiments like that. Um, that's what I know, Sam, what did here, I miss? I'll, that's I'll, interesting. I'll give, Hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI powered service hub. Okay, so what is Service Hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way. And before, that required tons of human agents. But now, with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved. And so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new Service Hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want, and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com service to learn how this all-new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. Uh, Peter, Peter, let me give like the outsider's perspective that's a little more holistic. So basically, there's two things that are interesting to you. The first one is your businesses, which actually are the least, the lesser of the two interesting things. So you have roughly five or yeah, you have seven different businesses uh, ranging from Nomad List, which makes uh, $2.1 million in the last 12 months. That's a that's a, a, a job board. You have another job board called Remote OK that's making $115,000 a month. You have Read Make, Read Make, which looks like it's like an ebook, something like that. Yeah, that it's makes, like an ebook. Yeah. Yeah, 60K a month. Then you have got like a bunch of really. Sam, small- you're seeing these numbers because he publishes them. Where do you publish these? He publishes all of them on like the, the URL. Uh, go to his Twitter profile and we'll let you talk. Sorry, Peter, in a second. But go to his no, Twitter profile. Good, go to his Twitter profile and then like click off and it's like uh, open revenue at the very bottom, but I'm reading off of our notes. So, and then you have like a QR menu creator. Then you have like an inflation chart, which doesn't seem like it makes money, but tracks uh, inflation. And then you have rebase, which is a platform to help people become a citizen of uh, Portugal, help them relocate to Portugal. So what's the first part is those businesses. Like I said, you have those that are interesting. I would narrow it down to say you have a series of job boards for nomadic or remote work that are pretty profitable. But the second thing that's even more interesting is the way that you do these things. So you do a few things that are interesting. The first thing is I think you're the only full-time employee, right? And you use a team of contractors. And second of all, you have this weird personality that's very... (laughs) 
embedded in everything you do. So that's kind of like my my big intro of, of what you do. Does that yeah, like I could see a website and I could know you built it without you having an about page, which is yeah, kind of the ultimate clunky, right? It looks well, a little. No, it's like no, it's but it's in a nice attitude. way, I guess. Yeah, because it's, it's I'm not a designer. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's accurate description. Um, it's like like I'm not very nomadic anymore. Like I'm slowly settling down, right? But I started very nomadically. I was like moving around every month. Um, I started like in 2013. I started nomading and I uh, went to all these places and I started building these apps, these little websites, these little products to validate. And I remember, I mean, I told the story so many times, but I was following Patrick McKenzie, Patio 11 on Hacker News, famous Hacker News guy. And uh, now he works for Stripe. And he would do, he would share his revenue on his blog about all his little products he made. And it was like appointment reminder for barbershops. So you got an SMS just before your appointment. So you don't forget it, uh, that kind of stuff. And I was really inspired, like, okay, this is not like some big VC funded guy. This is just like an indie guy who's just on his laptop kind of uh, building stuff. Um, and I kind of mixed that with the Nomad thing where like building from your laptop, from your backpack, moving around. Um, I think also getting inspired from different places. Because if you move around, you... I mean, I know Sam moves around a little bit as well. Uh, you, your life becomes very unique because you meet different kinds of people. You, you're in different kinds of places. You see different kinds of products, like in shops. Like if you're in Asia, you see some futuristic shit you don't see in Europe and America. Um, and all that stuff kind of, it helps for inspiration for creating products in some indirect ways as well. Um, so that's pretty much what I've been doing. And I think it's, I've been trying to be like radically honest. Like I know this, this American guy who pushes the radical honesty movement. Um, so I'm trying to do that in my personal life. I'm trying to do it on the internet. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to be as honest and open as possible, uh, because I don't like this fake corporate uh, stuff. And it's because I studied business administration and I have a master's degree in it. So I know all the management consultancy bullshit. You know, I've been there, I've done that. I know that's where my friends work. I know investment bankers and I hate that, that a lot of that world where it's like fake and not real. And I. I uh, want to be very open and honest. And I think it's also a little bit of a European thing, not to slag off America, I love America, but like um, in Europe, people are very, uh, a little bit more direct and a little bit more uh, straightforward. And uh, I think that comes across in my, in the stuff I do a little bit. So what's the total size of all your, of all your projects in terms of top line and bottom line revenue? Yeah. And isn't it true that you're the only full-time person and how many contractors are you using? Yeah, so I have one customer support contractor part-time, uh, Isabel, and she works for all my projects. Um, and I have a, a moderator for the Slack group because, dude, Slack groups, they, there's some drama in there. Like, I've had some crazy drama in these Slack groups and communities. So you need to have a moderator, you need to have rules, and you need to have a... You cannot just automate this moderation away. Like, I tried that. But you need a real person there to, you know, check on messages and stuff. Um, and then I have a DevOps uh, guy. He's my best friend, Daniel. And he uh, works kind of like a SLA, like a service level agreement, where if the server goes down, he gets a message. You know, if I'm sleeping or something, he brings it back up. But the problem is it never goes down anymore. Like it doesn't, we haven't really had that for years. So um, he does security updates and stuff, you know, like, because I have a VPS. I don't use Amazon. I use a VPS on DigitalOcean and Linode. Um, and he kind of keeps that stuff safe, you know, so that's good. And how big's the business? Top line and Sorry, how big's the business? Um, so Remote K is the job board. It's the biggest uh, business, makes the most money. Nomad, this is starting to grow though. It's like, it's past, I think 100K this month, 100K a month. Um, so almost like a million dollar business. Um, Remote K is 1.6 million a year, I think. Um, 
And Rebase is a new business. It's an immigration agency. So I want to help remote workers immigrate to uh, countries that want to attract remote workers with like, you know, beneficial tax stuff. Uh, Portugal is one of the first ones to do that. Um, so those are the three businesses that really make money and the rest doesn't really make money a lot. Like the book makes like, uh, I think like 4K a month. So, But everything you do is part of one flywheel. So I've looked at your kind of like system and I've looked at a bunch of people because I got into a little pickle where I was like, God, I'm doing so many things and I want to do all these things. I'm interested in all these things, but shit, you know, am I going to be able to juggle five different things? I got a podcast. I have a VC fund. I have my e-commerce business. I have a newsletter business. I have, um, you know, I don't even know what else course business. I got, other, I got other shit. Right. And so it's like, uh, am I going to be able to do this? And what I saw that you did, I like, I have this kind of like mental model of a solopreneur and a solopreneur. Nobody's actually solo. Everybody's got like a little support team around them. That's yeah. like helpful. Some, some in a big way, some in a small way, but basically it's like somebody who builds a personal brand and then builds a bit, bit builds a, a, a successful business and lifestyle around that. And what I noticed was that you had this formula, which is, I don't know if it's intentional or unintentional, but I'll say it out loud because here's my, my read of your business. It's basically you have, you start with the red pill. So the, a red pill is like, you know, that scene in the matrix where M Morpheus is holding out a blue pill, a red pill. He's like, you know, do you want, do you want the truth or do you want to, you take the blue pill? You could just go back to your normal life just as everything was. You could forget this ever happened. And Neil's like, no, I need to know the truth. What's the truth. He takes the red pill. And basically it's like every great solopreneur, I think starts with one truth. So like uh, Tim Ferriss's truth was basically that like the nine to five work in a cubicle for 40 years model is like effing broken and you don't need to do it that way. Like you could work four hours a week and live like a millionaire. And so that was like Tim Ferriss's red pill. And yours was basically like this idea of being a nomad, a digital nomad, um, which was like, hey, yeah, you don't have to you know, prescribe to the uh, subscribe to the the normal way of living. You pick a a place that's where you are from, that's where you live and you pay, you know, you just kind of stay where you grew up and like, and you go to an office every day and like, you have to wear shoes and whatever you're like, no, I wear flip-flops. I walk around on beaches. I just kind of go wherever I feel like whenever I feel like, and I carry a little like backpack and that's my life. Um, yeah. So you start with the red pill, then you, then you create content around that red pill. So as you talking about that lifestyle and sharing Everything from like, hey, people always ask what I put, keep in my backpack for the day. Here's what it is. It's like yeah. there's every bit of content you can come up with that's like poppy, that's like fits that red pill. So then you that bit gives you authority on that subject. So you become a, like yeah. a, 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 a authority. And so, you know, Pomp became an authority around Bitcoin and Tim Ferriss became an authority around life hacking and you've become an authority around nomadism. And then. You take that and then you basically spin off one of many businesses that can come up with it. But every one of those business, either it's a big moneymaker or it's just another funnel and more content, more new audience. That's going to like get sucked into that same red pill lifestyle that you are like talking about. And so it, even though you're doing six things, they're all actually part of one flywheel. And every one that you do is you going to feed it either because it's going to give you a bunch of cash that lets you fund this lifestyle in a better, bigger and better way. Or it's going to give you new content, new stories, new things to be known about um, that fit that lifestyle as well. That's how I see it. Uh, I'm curious. Is that a good, is that true? Yeah, I think it's really accurate. And, and uh, my thing started when I was, I was blogging, just like you said, I was blogging about like nomading, um, but I was blogging for my mom because back then you had like travel bloggers, like 2013, and I was going to travel kind of and nomad and I wanted to, you know, every place I went, I wrote a little 
how is this city to live in and stuff and what happened, all the crazy shit that happened to me. And my mom was reading that. Um, but I wrote it in English because my mom is obviously Dutch, but I was like, okay, she can read English. So it's maybe easier to get more traffic and stuff, more audience. But it wasn't like super, like a big idea. It just kind of happened. And then those blogs started showing up on Hacker News. And I started writing more about like bootstrapping startups as a nomad in, in Thailand or something or in Asia. And those started going on Hacker News really high. And I think that was the time, it was like 2013, 2014. There was the time when I noticed that um, the developers in San Francisco working for all the startups, they also were realizing, okay, maybe I can start doing this remotely because remote work was not cool back then. And nomading was not cool back then because you had the Tim Ferriss wave in 2008. It was like the first nomad wave, but there was, I love Tim Ferriss, but there was something about the, the followers there and the, the, the business that were created. They were kind of like, like shady. There was a lot of shady shit I yeah. met. I came across in Asia, in Thailand, like Americans and Europeans. There was like a lot of brain supplements and shit like dude, that. Yes, yes, dude. Yeah. Drug dealers, <laughs> online drug dealers and like spam dexing and like, there's still shady shit, but less. And I was like, I really hate this shady shit. I don't feel like part of this scene. Uh, I think it would be cool to make it more like, uh, you know, mainstream, like reputable businesses, reputable jobs that do it. Um, so I kept blogging about it and it kept taking off on Hacker News. And, uh, and you're right, I think. And then I went on Twitter and I think I kind of organically, people started following me. And then uh, a lot of people went nomad. A lot of my friends went nomad because I was blogging and they became my friends now. Um, and yeah, and then I started all those businesses. And, but I think it's, it's not like some, it sounds very like a constructed. It's not a master plan. No, it's not a master plan. It's very organic. Like uh, I kind of try, I'm like user zero. I try to build stuff for myself. And I always have like, I have like new ideas. Like there's just like you said, Red Pill, there's like something, there's a di this congruence in society and what I'm thinking. And most people then think like, okay, there must be wrong, something, there must be something wrong with me. But I think like arrogance, <laughs> I think there must be something wrong with society. Maybe this is like a new thing. So I'll try and make a little website about it. Like inflation, like three years ago or two years ago, I was tweeting about inflation, like this shit's going to go crazy with all the Fed printing money. And everyone's like, nah, inflation is fine. Stop, stop whining about it. I'm like, no, I'll just prove you that the real inflation numbers are higher. So I made this inflationchart.com website that shows the inflation numbers are really high. Turned out to be true kind of now. So... Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct to consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, if you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives that I thought was pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, that's all, great. Uh, what what uh, technology are you using to build those sites? Because they all do look alike <laughs> and you seem like you can spin, uh, spin them up like really quickly. Well, that's really funny because I get a lot of criticism for, for the technology I use. I use PHP because that's the language I knew because I was making a blog, like, right? Like WordPress. So I knew PHP a little bit. So I was like, okay, I just need to write with the language I know because I don't know other languages. And I did that. And then I used uh, JavaScript and I used jQuery. So everybody starts laughing now because jQuery is like way passe. But I still use it because it's so easy to, you know, make a button, bind an event to it, Ajax jQuery to the server, to the PHP script, does something with the database, sends it back. And it works for me really well. And I think it doesn't matter what you use, but as long as you use something that's really fast, 
um, feedback loop and iterative loop where you can really quickly develop. Like I can make a new button in like, you know, 20 seconds and deploy it to the server and it's really fast. And I know other developer friends of mine use a very big stack, all this, you know, Kubernetes and all this stuff, all these keywords I don't really know. And for them, it takes sometimes like, you know, an hour or maybe even days to deploy a new feature. And I think what we learned from startup and lean startup is that the customer feedback um, loop has to be very, the feedback loop has to be very fast, iterative, so you can really quickly change stuff. And it also makes your customers really happy because they see something, they have a problem or a feature idea, you can really quickly build it and then they see it. And that's, I mean, if you want happy customers, that's how you get it. You make something for them. They're like, oh my God, I influenced this product. And uh, yeah, so that works for me. So very, very simple stack. Well, and we, what do you we think? won't laugh at you because, not because we're nice. We, we just, we don't know anything about, I don't know what jQuery is. <laughs> neither, <laughs> neither does Sam. So. I mean, nobody these days knows <laughs> we're not jQuery make anymore. Fun of you. me. You're safe here. <laughs> We're too dumb to, to, to call you out on any of your technical. Nice, choices. nice. It's a good podcast. <laughs> what do you What do you think? What do you think this whole your whole thing's worth? Because if you go, okay, if you, so it if depends you, if, if, if you, you do five x. Sorry, Sean, go to his like sites, and you could see I, like I, it's like something slash open. It's usually like the website yeah. slash open, it's, and then like it yeah. says like so many stats, most of which honestly I, are kind of useless, but it's just like it's cool. Uh, it's like. You know, like yeah. how many? Seventy like, percent of them are like you know the equivalent of like a step counter. It's like uh, <laughs> it's like oh, how many DMs did I get today? How many? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know, have med- that. <laughs> no, you do. You have. It's but it's collective. It's like DM sends. You know, it's collective right. events. Yeah, but, but, but whatever, like, yeah. Okay, for example, I'm on nomadlist.com, which you said is yeah. I think your biggest one slash open, and on yeah. it you see the revenue chart, you see you know CO2 removed from the atmosphere, you see the full PNL. You see a bunch of other things. And one of them that you see is my, okay, so 73% profit margin. Your yeah. team says 0.78. <laughs> so I guess that's like part-time. Uh, yeah, like full-time part- equivalent, like FTE, yeah. And then plus 492 bots. <laughs> what is that, servers? Yeah, yeah, or- yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, on the but, server, but then he you also, can do like. He has a valuation yeah. too. He, if you scroll yeah, on, yeah, it yeah. says then he has, if we sold for like X, uh, whatever the multiple 30 is. 30X profit. If, if it was 30x profit, yeah. this would be six, uh, 17 million. So I, tr- I tried to take the PE. I mean, it's not super accurate. I did business, but it's the PE ratio of public companies that are similar in the industry. And I try to like sync it to that sometimes. Um, but the, the, it, dude, it completely depends on the multiples. Someone's going to pay for it, right? Like, uh, Have you sold multiples are extremely low. No, I've sold nothing. Uh, but I've, I've, been in, I've been in selling processes with previous guests on your podcast, you know, yeah. so... Uh, yeah. but it kind of bounced off. I'm just a lot of, I think it, I'm just yeah. gonna guess it was Andrew Wilkinson because he loves <laughs> yeah, Andrew Schmilkinson. <laughs> yeah, because he anything. loves job but, boards. That, that's just yeah. a guess. I can't say anything. But 80% I signed NEA. 80% of the acquisitions they bounce off, right? So right now I'm like, I don't really care. Uh I like that I have cash flow and my life is nice. And but I, I until recently I was really like until like a few years ago, I was like obsessed by the selling because you build a startup, like in a movie, like social well, not the movie Social Network, but in the big movies about startups, they're like, oh my God, grow big, big and then sell and you're millionaire. But then if you become millionaire yourself with your cash flow, you're like, okay, why does it matter actually? Uh, well, let, let's actually talk about that because the, what's interesting about you is you have a few that you could sell. So like Remote, OK, and Nomad List are both pretty cool. Have you calculated like how much money you want and how long it's going to take you to get there via cash flow? And if it's better to like, well, why don't I just sell one and I can get like an eight or $10 million lump sum, but then I still own this other one that's making like yeah. $3 million. A year. I mean, have you thought, of, have you done that math? And, and, and what have yeah, you? So the, the, 
the thing is, most of my revenue is profit. Like the margins are really high, especially remote case. Like it's like ninety four percent margin uh, pre tax, so it's very high. Um, so I'd say ten x after ten x gets interesting. I think the problem is with bootstrap companies, you usually get three, four, five x uh, profit or revenue. Not sure, which is too low for me. It's like I can, I might as well wait three years or four years and just sit in this chair, and the sites will probably <laughs> keep running because they're fully automated and. I barely need to work on them. They kind of just keep going. It's like heavily automated, like really heavy, heavy. Uh, it's just that I won't build new features anymore then. And the site will start looking a little bit old because, you know, design trends change. But generally, it will keep running. So it doesn't make sense for me to sell for, you know, 5x or 4x if I might as well wait. And also, like, no man, this is like my baby. So if I sell it, uh, they're going to fuck it up. I already know. <laughs> because they always do. Um, like, let's say... A big, a big remote startup buys it. Okay, I know VC funded remote startups are cool, but they're also going to be bought by big, boring companies later, like co corporate companies, right? Um, and they're going to shut this shit down. They're like, and this is my contribution. This is my life's work. It's like legacy. So uh, remote okay, I care less because it's a job board. Job board is not very interesting. But Nomadless is like this whole movement and culture, and and there's like tens of thousands of people on there, and my friends are on there, and it's like this work of love, you know, and. Um, so yeah, it, it's hard. It would be hard to sell that because people are going to fuck it up. Are you the and largest? Go ahead, Sean. Well, one thing I was going to say, you tweeted out something that said a 10 year overnight success, which I think is a common uh, yeah. uh, idea that most people don't, don't realize, which is by the time you hear about something, you don't know the 10 years of kind of toiling and tweaking and iterating that it took before the big kind yeah, of breakthroughs sure. happen. I my, my life was the same way. You know, I started my first startup when I was 20, 21. And I made my first million by the time I was 30 or 31, right? Like it wasn't, yeah. it took 10 years early, man. Yeah. and, um, and you know, and then, and then every year since then, a bunch of great stuff has happened, but like, it took a long time to get that breakthrough. And I was looking at your chart, Sam, I don't know if you saw this tweet that he has, but the chart basically shows, I think you start it's in like the sum of all my revenue together in one chart. Yeah. Yeah. It's all your revenue from all your projects all together in one chart. And it's looking like it's like, I don't know, 2012 or 2013 start. And yeah. basically, if I go all the way up until, let's call it 2019, you're at maybe 600, 700K in, yeah. per year in revenue. And only in the last, like, like kind of the pandemic boom, Dude, COVID, like, you know, yeah. let's say 2020, from 2020, you went from under a million dollars to 2.5 million a year, right? So you two and a half yeah. X, and you like, it's because it sounds amazing. Wow, this dude's making almost 3 million a year. It's like, yeah, but he's also been building that momentum and stacking these assets and it just really took off and which I'm guessing is like pandemic fueled a lot of people wanting yeah. to be nomads and like you were there to catch that wave you were the guy ready to catch yeah, the but wave I had no idea time. this was coming like right this was like I did this presentation in 2015 where I predicted there would be 1 billion remote workers in 2030 and everybody laughed at me and I was like even in the comments like YouTube comments were like this is ridiculous whereas your sources is bullshit and then COVID happened and it suddenly seems very reasonable. And but nobody could have seen this coming. And I had no idea. I was actually kind of like thinking like in, COVID or what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> With Fauci. Um no, but it, it kind of like it if you look at the chart, it's kind of like, you know, it doesn't really go anywhere. And I was like thinking, okay, this is bullshit. Like I I I try I I tried everything to make it grow. And sometimes it grew and sometimes it didn't, but generally it wasn't very it wasn't like a VC startup where right? like <sighs> 
Well, it looks and, like there's these there's these run ups and then a plateau and run up and yeah. a plateau, which is, by the way, how, that's how all progress actually looks. If you zoom out. Exactly. Far like, and yeah. I remember that, like, during 2014, when I first moved to Silicon Valley, there was a small group of people like you. This is, I think, when you created that first Slack community that was like, no, nah, being a nomad is the way to go. And I yeah, but those people were like freaks. You know, yeah, they, they were, were they freaks. Were seen 100%, as very weird. 100 percent. Yes. And, and yeah. but there were some people who took the red pill at that time. I think Steph Smith, who yeah, worked, at Oslo, worked, yeah. worked at the hustle, she met you in, I don't know, Indonesia Bali, or yeah, Bali yeah. or something like yeah, that, yeah, because yeah. Um, she had, I think, probably during that more like that time period, 2014, 15, 16, something like that. She was one of those people that defected then, whereas now there's like another wave. And like if you look at yeah. kind of like any lifestyle movement, it, it happens this way. It starts with like very like, crypto. It starts with the the cypherpunks. Exactly. Like, you know, you're right. Yes. They don't exactly. they hang out in cryptography forums and they took the pill first. Yeah. yeah and then yeah, yeah. came, you know, the next the developers, then came the the finance but, bros. And then dude, came it's the same with the next music, wave. like music genres, like hip hop, like early yeah. hip hop. And I come from electronic music. So drum and bass music it was my previous career, like music producer. It's the same thing, like EDM taking off in, in the US in 2009, 2010 with dubstep. That's what broke EDM in US. That kind of stuff. It's you like these these movements these scenes are almost dead and then suddenly something happens like right and it's so unpredictable you have no clue what's going on you can only surf it so i think the metaphor of surfing is very accurate it's better to surf these waves in general i think life just surf waves stop trying to control it uh just surf it and and kind of like you know pivoting like pivoting startups into that's pretty much just surfing like steering the surfboard over the waves because you cannot you cannot control the market at all you cannot control society at all you know one of the I, things that bothers me about the this indie hacker movement is, well, I, I, just, <laughs> I, love I, I really, I, I really like it. I like it, but in general, what I don't like about it is like people think pretty small, so they're like, uh, you know, like it, there's, it's kind of related to like the fire movement, which is like, oh, I just want to oh, yeah, save yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit of money so I can make forty thousand dollars a year in passive income, and 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 I'm like, oh that's cool. Like getting your first step is cool, but like that can't be it with life. Like you have to like, you know, you're going to want more, you want to do more things and contribute to society. And with a lot of these indie hackers, they kind of come up with silly stuff where it's like a small widget that they sell for $4 a month and they hope that they can get to a thousand dollars a month. And I'm like, man, that's like neat if you're just starting out. But I think that this could be bigger. And you're actually one of the few people that I've seen go harder. You know, you're going harder on this. Um, Are there any others like you? How do you think I'm going harder on it? Like, in which well, way? your numbers are bigger. Like, it, like, like it's it's substantial. Like, your numbers are yeah. nice already, and but it could be survivorship it, uh, bias, right? Well, yeah, definitely. But yeah. I still think that there's a mindset of like, um, like I for still example, think that your Twitter bio thing says your meter is going to three million. I would yeah. say most people who are indie hackers and makers and kind of like the, the the sort of tinkerer community, they don't even have their meter to there. Their meter you know, initially it is going to start much lower, 60,000 yeah, or 70,000 yeah, yeah, a year. Sure. Yeah, and maybe yours true. did too, but then you like, oh, cool. I, I filled up that meter. I leveled it up. So what was your like initial goal? Was it like make enough to not need a job or what, how, where did you start? Yeah, and when did you get more ambitious? So I, I mean, back when I started, I had a YouTube channel for this electronic music I was making and stuff. And I was making like a few thousand dollars from YouTube AdSense. So I had some runway uh, some cash flow to live off, travel off, and work on mini startups. But it was very fast. It was shrinking because of the competitive, like the copyright claims on YouTube in 2012 and stuff. So it was pretty much becoming like below a thousand dollars a month. Um, but 
so I had that cash flow, but to go to your question, I think it's a power law. Like you always have a few people in a scene who will make more money or get more successful and stuff. Also, there's a delay effect. I started in 2013 or 2014. All these indie, this indie scene didn't really, it wasn't cool until maybe I think 2018 or something, 2017. Um, so these people that are going into it now, they're just starting kind of. And I think the widget thing is interesting because you said it's only a widget. Uh, if you make one feature really well that solves like one problem, you can get some customers and you get some cash flow, and then you can build a second feature and you can slowly scale up uh, to a bigger, to a real business, to a real product toolkit, right? And then I think another thing is you don't see a lot of people with multi-million revenue because they will quickly raise VC. Like once you pass a million dollars a year, they will switch to, okay, let's go big. Let's go become a billion dollar company. And I think I'm the exception. I'm like, I don't want to be building out a company. I'm fine. Like, like this kind of chill. Um, and that's why you don't see those people a lot. Cause I do know them and they quickly disappear. Like this app we're using now, uh, Riverside, I think is raised VC now started bootstrapped. And then I think Oprah Winfrey used it. And cause it's my friend Nadav, he makes it. He's like, dude, Oprah Winfrey used it. I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. He's like, yeah, I think I'm going to raise VC. I'm like, okay, yeah, you should do that. Uh, because they think this is like, this could be bigger than just a few million, right? So, so you tweeted something out the other day that's related to this. You go, not sure if people realize it, but if your app does 20,000 a month in revenue, you're probably already a millionaire. $20,000 yeah. per month times 12 months. Assume you could sell for, let's call it four five or 5X X, yeah. multiple. Yeah. That's a million dollar selling price, right? You, you're sitting on a million dollar asset. And it, when you put it that way, I think that sounds, and it is, way more achievable than yeah. this idea of like, oh, I got to build a, a million dollar business. Like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, do I have the big idea, whatever. But getting something to 20 to 30,000 a month in revenue. It seems that's approachable, digital, right? It's approachable. And that's kind of awesome. I think that's an amazing, like, just a, like you didn't, all you did is you said something that was true out loud. And I think if more people heard that, that's why I'm kind of bringing it up here. I think if more people heard that, that is a pathway to a millionaire status that does not require like winning the startup lottery of like yeah, inventing the next exactly. big thing yeah. or working and saving and, you know, paying your crazy W2 taxes for like, you know, 15, 20 years to get to the same, same outcome. Yeah. I'd, exactly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's reachable, especially if you think about high automation, very high margins. So software business, you, you're not going to hire a big team of 10 people immediately. Um, you work with part-time contracts like I do, and you keep your margins very, very high because then you can sell for 5X, right? Then your revenue is almost your profit. So it's the same. Um, yeah, that it, I think so 20K let's, is approachable. Let's brainstorm yeah. a business together that could get to 20K. So what's an idea yeah. that you, <laughs> you, you're you not currently building, but you thought of, because I'm sure you're an idea guy and you, you yeah. think, oh, you could make a website that does X or you could make Nomad List for this other niche or you could make, yeah. you know, um, the 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 immigration one for this other thing. So what's yeah. a business? Let's brainstorm a business together. What's a business that you think could get somebody to this millionaire status? Dude, I think what's, man, it's like, again, this is so personal. So I've been living, like I used to live in hostels, right? In, like dorms in 2013. I didn't have money, shared with six people, like crazy. Then I started like private rooms in hotels. Then the rooms got a little bit more luxurious because I had more money. And then I started discovering like apartment hotels. And 
it sounds like bullshit, but it works so well with remote work. So I'm in an apartment hotel right now in Europe on the beach and there's a kitchen. Well, what's an apartment there's hotel? A, what does that mean? Sorry, apartment hotel is essentially a hotel. So full service, furnished, uh, nice interior hotel room, but you also have a kitchen, you have a bedroom, you have a living room, you have it, you know, it's very big. Right. It's pretty much like an Airbnb, but- and you pay per month or per night or what? You pay per month. Well, you can pay per night, you can pay per month. It's just it's like, like a hotel. It's like Sean, um, it's like it's that like guy Sonder who- or whatever. Yeah, it's like Sonder and it's like all, uh, I forget the other one, the guy was supposed to come on the pod yeah, and yeah, canceled yeah. last Sam, minute. Sam, you, you did one of these in Nashville, right? Or something where you're like, this is awesome. Yeah, There's like, like a Nemo lobby where or, everyone's working. Yeah, it's like a, it, it's basically just an apartment that you can rent for five days. And they're pretty cool. I do, I do them all the time. The problem that I've experienced is with, in the New York, it's like 10 grand a month and it's like 600 square feet. So that's why I tend to go Airbnb. But when I'm in smaller, less expensive cities, you can get like a thousand square foot place for like 6,000 a month. And it's just, it's basically uh, an apart, apartment building that has one floor or all floors dedicated to Airbnbs. Yeah. Gotcha. The, the problem with Airbnb is that I've noticed is the quality is very, very high. There's a big range of quality and there's problems. There's no daily cleaning. It's, it feels too much like, um, unexpected like you don't know what's going to happen the water stuff might break if things break here you just get a new apartment right and i've done this in europe and i've done this in asia too in thailand and i spend about you see two to three k three and a half k so it's a lot of money it's more than normal rent but the cool thing is that it it solves a lot of problems you have in your daily life um because it's surface and stuff and it's a, it's a huge thing in asia it's a huge thing in in, in southeast asia even in korea taiwan and stuff so I think that's going to be bigger because of remote work, because you have remote workers, even with families, with kids, and you don't want to live in a hotel room. A hotel room is very depressing. Like I go insane in hotel rooms. It's just like a bed and you can barely walk around the bed. There's no space. I need to cook food. I need to buy steak from the local butcher. I need to cook it with broccoli and spinach and with my friends and stuff. And you can do it in an apartment hotel. And I think the if you target, it's a high end market, I think, of remote workers that make a lot of money, like 200K or 100K something. Um, if you target them, you can make a lot of money because it's um, serviced, furnished. So, and, so what would you build? You'd yeah, actually sorry. build an apartment hotel or you'd build a digital product? That's a big question because I'm, I'm a software guy. I don't want to I don't want to own stuff. I don't want to have all this. I don't even want to buy land. I don't even want to buy a house. I want to be able to be a consumer, a customer of these kind of things, right? But I want it long term. I want to like, be able to rent for like six months, you know, or 12 months even. Um, I want to be guaranteed to stay. So we, uh, my wife and I are, are like, we're at the point where we're going to start having kids soon. And I live not like you entirely, but a little bit where we spend, we spend half the year, one place, half a year, the other place. And what we're going to do next year is just rent, do a 12 month month lease in New York and just not be there all the time. But I'm looking to rent all of my furniture. And I've been looking Dude, at a yeah. place where I was like, all right, I just want to like book this one place. And I want to pay someone like three grand a month, but they have to show up before I arrive. They've got to completely set it up. Yes. And yes, it's got to be 100% furnished for me. And I've been yes. looking at these and there's a few startups in the space that are doing furniture rental and furniture rental is not popular right now. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, I just want to rent all my furniture. I don't want to own any of it. And they, Same, they, yeah. they, they think it's nonsense and they think it's crazy. But if you run the math, it, it's significantly like it, it's about the same in terms of price, but in terms of headache, I think it's a thousand times better. And yeah, I think that's another. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's all about the headaches. So if you can afford it, you can reduce the headaches of 
ownership and ownership uh it sounds so privileged though but whatever it, ownership is a, is a big hassle shit breaks all the time and if you are like if i spend my time on my laptop building on these apps it's probably better use of my time than managing all this this, this stuff and uh if a company can specialize in you know managing this stuff and renting it to you it's, it's much better i think that's a real you're on point that's a real business and um, imagine you can go to a website and you can say like, okay, you can choose different sets of furniture, different interior and stuff, uh, paintings on the wall or whatever, and you can just click and you arrive and it's already done for you. Like you said, I think that would be really interesting. Uh, yeah. What, what, what are else some other you? Thing, yeah, yeah, things that you're interested in, either kind of niche categories or things in your lifestyle that you're like, huh, I do this lifestyle thing differently than people. This could be, it, you could build a business around this. I think the, the, the biggest problem with the digital nomad thing is that there's a, maybe it's a good big podcast to, to say that uh, there's a perception that people travel really fast and I have the data that they don't travel fast. They travel like every few months or even I think the average is seven months now. It's very slow. So the the word digital nomad is a, it's a horrible word. Of course, we, it has so many connotations, but it's mostly remote working people who want a little bit of a different life, who want to see different places a little bit. Um, you know, they have boyfriends, girlfriends, wives, husbands, they have kids even, there's families doing this as well moving around every week doesn't really work. Um, being very slow is big. And if people are more aware of that, they can find a lot of products built for this long-term slow mad market, which most of us are. We're mostly slow mads. And um, slow mad. also like slow that. mads, nice. yeah. Think about education. <laughs> Think about like homeschooling is taking off also because of remote work. Uh, if I have kids, I, I don't know if I want to put them in a regular school. Maybe, you know, Elon Musk builds his own school. That's kind of cool. But you can do things in a different way. And like now it's still very, we're still niche. Like this remote work thing is still niche. It's going to get only bigger. There's only going to be more and more people doing this once physical jobs get automated. So um, if you make products, I don't know a specific product, but if you know, if you build products for those people, that's a high end market of like tech workers that are remote. So if you don't buy, you said that you don't own stuff or you, you kind of said like, you don't I mean, like owning stuff. You yeah. said that you, you said that you don't want to own real estate. So if you're making two and a half million dollars a year in profit, this is a question that Sean always asks that I'm stealing it, which is, what do you do with your money then? Yeah, so I'm heavy in ETFs. <laughs> um, I read a blog post by, what's his name? The guy from Google that does SEO. And he's like, I just put everything in, ETF, in ETFs. So Vanguard ETFs, S&P 500. Um, but also I'm heavily invested in Asia because I believe in Asia. I believe in the future. I know... The West, there's a lot of things about Asia that are good, but it's very, I still think it's very futuristic. And um, I also invest in crypto, like I hold Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, it's always scared to say those things on the podcast, right? But it's all like very secure and stuff. So um, it's not exactly the most shocking thing to, to assume. <laughs> no, that true. You, every you own every, some every tech guy, every tech <laughs> yeah. bro has crypto. Yeah, exactly. But I, I mostly. And you're actually um, not allowed to have that haircut if you don't own yeah. like three. Yeah. <laughs> What you you can't have a high face with like long top hair <laughs> yeah, if, yeah, you, yeah. if you don't own three. Um, I spend about like four or five K a month or something. That's it. So most of it is just, uh, I do need to pay tax. But after that, most of it goes to, you know, ETFs and stuff. It's scary to invest now because it's a scary time. But generally I'm like, I want to do this for 20, 30 years in, in ETF invested and stuff. And sometimes stocks, but my I did a benchmark. My S&P 500 ETF outperformed all my stock decisions over the last two years. So <laughs> I'm stupid, just like most people. Sean, you want to tell them what you did recently? <laughs> what? Oh, selling? With your stocks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I sold, I sold not everything, but pretty much everything. I sold 
maybe 70 80 percent of the stocks that i hold um i get that i mean uh, yeah but i'm I'm scared they always say like don't try and time the market so i'm like okay i'll just sit and just crash with the you know sean why did you do that why don't you just like chill uh two reasons one i didn't want to risk a margin call because I'd borrowed a little bit against my stock portfolio, but and you know, to what I felt was extremely safe, and it's still safe, but I was like, ah, look, if this drops another, you know, 20%, then all of a sudden I'm having a headache that I don't want to deal with. I don't want to have to deal with freeing up a bunch of cash just to buffer this. So I was like, I noticed that every morning I was waking up and I was checking it, and I was like, okay, logically, I know I'm in pretty good shape here. But the stress of th- having to think about this is taking away from my like, you know, my day to day quality of life. It's like that's the opposite of what, what I want money to do. I don't want money to give me stress. My money's supposed mm. to take away my stress. So, so I, what did you do with the money? The opposite. What did you do with it? Where is it? It's just it's in cash right now. Um, like I might do some like whatever, some short term, you know, fixed incomes type stuff. But like for now, I was like, again, I, I don't care. Like I don't need the two percent. I needed the peace of mind. And so that was the first thing. The second thing was. I thought, what will I regret more? What do I believe more? Do I believe that this is the bottom or do I believe that this is kind of like actually thinking that this is the bottom, you know, six months in and that it's all going to get better soon. Um, Basically, like there's three paths. Either it gets better now. It stays. This is about the bottom, but we stay here for an extended period of time. One, two, three, four years, or it has further down to go. And I basically thought that it getting Things going up soon seemed like the least likely thing. Like I would, I would actually be betting against that heavily. And so I thought, okay, I don't, I have nothing to lose here in terms of upside because I just fundamentally don't think that stocks and everything's just going to go rip back up again. And, and we're all going to pretend like, you know, that was it. We just had a few months of pain and then it all went right back up and, and remember things go, things are all green again. Um, and so I thought either it's going to be flats, boring and sideways for a period of time or it's going to go down more. And I thought, well, in either case that I won't regret being in cash because a, I don't have to sweat it every day. I don't have to think about it every day. And B I'm not, there's no, I'm not losing anything during, you know, by doing this. And so that was my thought process. And I figured, okay, there's going to be these little bear market rallies. So just sell at the top of the next bear. bear. So that's what I did. Everything rallied 5% and I just sold and I kept like, I don't know, 20% still in the market. And I just left the other 80% in, uh, and, you know, not thinking about it cash, but I held nice. my crypto. I didn't, I didn't sell my crypto. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Are you guys you, mostly invested in the American uh, stock market or worldwide? Yeah. Like you said, I believe in Asia. I'm like, yeah, I believe in Asia too, but I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. How do I go invest <laughs> in Asia and where would I invest? I don't even know. What What does that yeah. mean? Are you buying the equivalent of like an ETF for like ETF, Japan yeah. or something? What are you yeah. doing? Dude, I had a Vanguard ETF China and then suddenly it disappeared from my broker app. And I'm like, what the fuck's <laughs> happening? And I get this message. They're like, Vanguard left China in march or something because they, they were right. like this is too crazy so i had to well, buy a different etf I, I don't know this yeah, the, government the government did some basically shit yeah private companies public or something yeah no they they fucked jack ma for sure there's a lot of weird <laughs> shit happening but I'm, i still think i should be invested in, in those markets and uh um sam have i told I you think, about the jack ma yeah. thing how it's crazy that the third richest man in the world that j- they were Disappear- trying to was like but, hey dude jack, yeah shut up and he's like, yes, sir. <laughs> they just took Jack yeah, off. Yeah. My brother-in-law calls me like, uh, so we had one moment where like a month in when people started noticing Jack Ma is missing. And my brother-in-law in the car one day was just like, 
where's Jack Ma? Like, as if he was in the car, but he's like, bro, why aren't we talking about this? He's like, where's Jack Ma? And we just started laughing. Like, how crazy is that? That Jack Ma is just not like, what if you just couldn't find Elon Musk because he said something, you know, that that Biden didn't like? Like, The idea is crazy. They did it with the tennis player, too. Yeah, and I saw he's, that. Dude, my brother-in-law still calls me. He'll be like, he'll just call me out of the blue. It's been like a year now. And he'll be like, yo, where's Jack Ma? And then he'll hang up. And like, that's the whole call. It's so good. He'll just be like yelling, where is Jack Ma? <laughs> but dude, that's the thing with Asia and China. Like all this stuff is accurate. There's some crazy shit. Um, but the other thing is also accurate that there's, there's a lot of stuff happening in, in Asia. And I think in the West, in Europe and America, we have a blind spot because we get so much information that's negative about Asia, especially about China. And I'm, I'm not a China spy or something. My friends call me China spy because of that. But I think it's a blind spot a little bit in the West uh, that we're, we're going to miss out on, you know, I mean, China is going to be the biggest economy in 2030. I think by GDP, it's already the biggest economy by purchasing power parity or something. Um, ignoring that just, you know, because there's a lot of arguments why we should ignore China, but it, it sounds like a blind spot in the West a little bit to me. Do you... Uh... Uh, what well i'll do it we'll do an easy one do you act you like tweeted out your calendar and it was like free for a week or something like that and i know yeah, sean forever, does that too yeah. and i i i kind of like that sometimes i don't like that because i'll do that for three days and i'm like oh my god i'm so bored it are you is it real that you just don't plan anything yeah so <laughs> this is the only planned thing and it gives me stress because i'm like oh shit the summer's coming up um but I mostly like I spend my days like I live with my friends, so my friends are my neighbors now. So I brought all these nomads friends to uh, Portugal and Europe, and we kind of live together. A lot of our a lot of them are in the city near here, whatever. Everybody's kind of near, so we just have like dinners outside, and we cook food, and the sunset on the beach, and just this nice chill life that I never had because I was always alone in hotel rooms. I had friends, but they were always around the world, and now they're all kind of here. So I mostly do that. So I don't want to do calls about like because what am i going to call about like i like having calls with you guys what am i going to call with other people about like new business i don't know don't you get bored like no because i can i because I, I work on my websites right i i open i make coffee i make open my laptop meet my friend and we code a little bit together make a new feature um you know then you go to the gym we go to sauna uh we go swim uh they're kind of like but that's very recent right this kind of chill life and i don't get bored as long as I ship a little bit on my websites, uh, I don't really get bored. You're and, like the only yeah. rich person. So basically, it's almost always the truth that no matter how hard you try, the more income that you make, your life, yeah. your lifestyle gets inflated. Uh, yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. sometimes not as much, but then other times a ton. And like I was like, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm going to fight it. Like I can't imagine spending more than $10,000 on a car or whatever. And then you make more income. You're like, oh, whatever. Who cares? Um, you said you spend four or five thousand dollars a month. You're one of the few people yeah. that has acknowledged that your lifestyle actually doesn't seem like it's been. It's it's not no, lavish it's on at purpose. All. It's hundred percent on purpose. Like it's very. Um, and What's it's not the always true. Inc- incidentally, sometimes you spend more, right? Like last month was the hotels were really booked, so we had to pay a lot of money. But now it's chill again. Um, I think it's on purpose but because I, I try to follow. Uh, like last month was like ten k or something for a That's hotel still because nothing, we're in. Though. We were in Lisbon. You're was, making $3 million a year. Yeah, but paying 10K for a hotel is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Like it should be the max, like two or 3K for me personally. But I've seen a lot of people um, do that lifestyle inflation because I know from corporate, from again, from studying business, I know the management, management people and stuff, they get paid more and they get golden handcuffs, right? And they can't leave. A lot of my friends are like that. And I don't want that to happen to me. 
I mean, can't happen to me, but you get what I mean. Um, and I, I know that material goods don't really make me happy. So I buy a new shirt or something, or I buy a new iPhone. Within two weeks, I'm used to it. And there's studies on this. There's like research about this stuff. Like if you buy a new car, even if you get married, after six months, you're at the same happiness. If you buy a house, after six months, same happiness. So if you know that stuff, you know that, okay, you don't really need to spend money so much. You don't need to buy stuff, essentially. And um, generally, it will probably so make you what, happier. What do you, what do you think you would want to spend more on? Let's say that like, you know. Food, like good food, like okay. organic uh, you know, free roaming, I mean, it's cliche, like Joe Rogan, right? But free roaming grass fed cow beef, you know, that are happy animals, organic vegetables, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, like not goods, you know, experiences. Right. It's on purpose. I do this. What, what are some experiences to? that you think are worth the money? What is what? Sorry. What are some experiences that are like worth the money that, you know, when most, most experiences people go that are good, don't even bag. cost money, right? Like, uh, do you like coach? A, life coach? What? No, do you, do you oh, fly? Oh, fly coach, sorry. No, so that's, yeah, you're right. So, man, you got me. Like, you're trying to find, like, <laughs> stuff, right? Yes, I fly business class because, no, exactly. I'm done with, uh, I, I can't sit. I, I only do it long haul, and I only fly, like, I flew only once in the last 16 months, and I flew uh, business uh, Qatar, really nice, and you can lie down and sleep and stuff. Um, but that's about it, I think. And you know, there's one thing I noticed. Like, I was in Bangkok in this luxury kind of apartment hotel stuff, but it was a little bit too luxury for me, you know, and I was there for a month and you start noticing that you don't meet as much interesting people. Like I met one interesting person who had this giant wheat farm, the biggest wheat farm in Thailand, because I just legalized it. It was kind of cool. But generally, it's a very different, it's more like a socialite kind of Paris Hilton audience, you know. But in the hostels, you would meet crazy people. You would meet backpackers, but also like researchers and entrepreneurs and fledgling entrepreneurs, you know. You met generally more interesting people because you were more uh, in those areas. And I Sean, think the did, problem, did, yeah. Sorry, uh, did I no, tell sorry, you about, did I tell you guys, uh, listen to this, Sean, did I tell you about Sam Corcos from Levels, mm. level, other Levels, uh, what's the Oh URL? yeah, I know, yeah. I, Levels Health. So the, yeah. the Levels Health, the thing that yeah, goes yeah, in your yeah. arm. So this Stole guy, so he raised, <laughs> yeah, that's right. He raised, uh, so he has a startup that makes eight figures in revenue. It's worth, I think it was $400 million. So let's just say that he's worth $150 million on paper. Not real, but on paper. He came over to my house and he was with his girlfriend. And she made a comment like joking, like, oh, you know, he always gives me a hard time because it takes me forever to pack. But that's ridiculous. I only have this one carry-on. And I was like, well, how long does it take you to pack, Sam? He goes, oh, I don't pack. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, he had a drawstring bag. You know what a drawstring bag? It's like a bag yeah, yeah. that like where like you, you put like these at conferences. <laughs> yes. He had, that's all he had was that bag. And he goes, well... You see, I only own the clothes that I'm wearing right now, which is a oh, white T-shirt, a pair of pants, socks, underwear, and shoes. I only own that plus another pair of underwear, a jacket, and uh, this bag and my laptop, which I have right here on me. That's literally the only thing that I That's own. I was like, wait, what? He goes, yeah, I've been doing I've been doing this for like eight years now or something like that. And I only Damn. live in like, I do what you do. Uh, he's like, he does what you do, Peter. He lives in um, like these Airbnbs and hotel style setups. And he's been doing it for years, and that's all he owned. And I thought that was the craziest. So he does shit laundry every time. day. I don't understand. How's he? Living well, off I was like, underwear? I was like, so I was like, well, what if you got to go to a funeral? What if you have to do this? He goes, well, I just go to a thrift store um, when I need uh -huh. to go, and I buy stuff, and then I just bring it back. And he does it partly out of, I, I think this is my guess. He does it partly out of, um, like convenience of not wanting to worry about stuff. I also think that there's like a philosophy, like a very philosophical thing going on here because it's like. 
extreme. But have you ever heard of anyone, Peter, being that crazy? Dude, yes, actually, like in 2013, I was in Chiang Mai and there was an Australian guy who would fly from Australia to Thailand to Chiang Mai with only his MacBook Air and the clothes he wore and not even a bag. And he would buy everything he needed on the spot and he would be there for like two or three months uh, and he would donate the clothes he wore uh, to charity and then he would fly back to Australia with his MacBook Air in his hand. And I was so impressed. (laughs) This data is wrong every freaking time. Have you heard of HubSpot? HubSpot is a CRM platform where everything is fully integrated. Whoa, I can see the client's whole history. Calls, support tickets, emails, and here's a task from three days ago I totally missed. HubSpot, grow better. See, that's cool. I would do that because I think that actually adds to the experience of traveling, like yeah. Traveling fully light, and then when you get oh, there, dude, so yeah, I always buying carry what on you only. need, and then giving yeah. it away when you leave. Like I'm, I'd yeah. actually get down with that. The like, I I rotate two underwear, and I put my underwear yeah. in my bag with my MacBook. <laughs> like, I don't know about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but I, f- I think it comes down to philosophy, and I do think it sounds pretentious, but I don't care. Uh, it comes down to constraining your life in a certain way. I think constraints are good in creativity and life and stuff, and. Um, it makes you focus on the really important things in life for you personally. It must be different for everybody. You know, for me, that's like, you know, uh, girlfriend, friends, uh, health, food, uh, you know, happiness, all that stuff kind of, and, and creative work, meaningful work, very important. Like I need to be able to, I need to have something to do in my day. I need to feel like I'm contributing something like Sam said. And, uh, so what do you own? So I have a backpack. I have a, I have a rolling suitcase though, like a small one. Um, I have clothes, I have a iPhone, MacBook a Pro, uh, what the f- I have a toothbrush, um, so I minimal. have two stadia. Like, you, you, yeah, minimal. Like you can name all the things you own. <laughs> that, I'm looking amazing. around, right? I, I have two Stadia <laughs> contra- controllers, like gamepads. You can use Stadia here. It's kind of cool. Um, yeah, that's about it, I think. I mean, I mean, I have like backup phones and stuff because, you know, two-factor authentication stuff, but... It's not a do you lot think you're going to do this? You mentioned you, you could talk about your family or not if you want, but do you think you're going to yeah. do this when you have kids? So what does doing it mean? Because I'm, I'm mostly settled down. I'm mostly in one place. I'm just like trying to not buy stuff doing from Amazon. Doing it as in uh, <laughs> not owning stuff. I mean, like, I, I think your life is cool, but you have to acknowledge that it's alternative in the sense of like, you know, 1% no, of the population does what yeah, you yeah, do. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. I think it's interesting that like the stuff I do may or may not become a thing because a lot of things I did eight years ago now are normal, right? So it, it might be that the things yeah, that have become... I mean, if you're happy, who cares if it becomes a thing? Oh, no, it's thing. not about me. It's more like, yeah, it's more like it, it might become mainstream. Um, I think uh, I think even if you have kids, you can do it in an alternative way. You can, uh, you know, you can go to a thrift store and get like secondhand toys or something, secondhand clothes, that kind of stuff. But it all doesn't have to be this so consumerist and, and buying and, you know what I mean? It, it can, we can do it in a different way. And, um, I'm just trying to figure out like how, how I, yeah, want to do that. And well, we try and keep the a, focus on, yeah. A, a nomad list style red pill before briefly, which was, um, my, I forgot what it's called. Sam, do you remember the name of like the zero waste project or the zero, the zero project yeah, or something like that? that? So basically my yeah. wife told me about this. She's like, yeah, you know, there's like, uh, like in the city, in the little town we live in, there's uh, like this Facebook group. And what they do is it's just like, it's like a barter. It's like, a, a, it's not even a barter economy. It's like a giving economy. So it's like, 
if you have stuff, you just give it into the giving circle and other people can take it out and then they can give stuff in. And it's basically like, oh, your kid. It's, I think it's a lot around kids stuff. Like my kid's grown out of this. But that's it. it doesn't um, make sense to buy a new, group. right? It's yeah. not like Craigslist randos. It's like yeah. amongst this trusted group of people who buy all nothing. believe the same thing. But the buy nothing project. Yeah. Um, and I think I might have butchered exactly how it works. Sam, do you, do you know a little bit how it well, works? Well, like, it, it's just the idea of like um, instead of like reduce, reuse, recycle, it, like for like consumer or for like plastic and shit. They're like, no, no, no. Let's just like uh, reuse. We're going to reuse everything. So instead of buying a new toy, we're going to go get one for free and then we're going to give it away when we're done. It's just a mindset. Yeah. And then there's uh, there's a bunch of companies in the space, but the, the big one is like this uh, buy nothing series of Facebook groups where it's just like, I'm going to give away, I'm giving away these children's clothes. Come get them. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it, that's nice. I, I, like, it doesn't make any sense. You have a baby and it, it grows out of its clothes every month or something or every two months. So why would you buy everything new if you can ask your family for clothes they already wore or whatever, right? It m- makes more sense to me personally. Um, yeah. Who do you want to be like? Who, who do you who do you admire and who do you want to be like? Because like uh, the reason why people buy shit for their kids is because they want to mm. they want their kids to have Jordan. So they look cool for other people because they yeah. want to impress other people. Who do you want to yeah. impress and who do you want to be like you think? Like, who, who do you look up to? Um, I, I like Derek Sivers. I don't know if you know Derek Sivers. Yeah, he's a, S- he's tell a me cool about him. who he's, is he? He's um he started a company called CD Baby in the 90s, I think, or in early 2000s, and it, which was like one of the first uh, indie kind of music distributors where you could send your music as an indie uh, musician and they would press the CDs for you and they would send it to your customers and stuff. And and they also now on Spotify and stuff. And he sold us for $30 million. I interviewed him for my bachelor's thesis, actually. He's a really nice guy, like the most nice guy in startups, I think. And He's very, he writes a lot. He writes a lot of books now and he's very philosophical, also kind of nomadic. He's been in like living in Singapore, he lived in New Zealand, lived in the US and stuff. And he's very, um, if you go to his website, like DerekSivers.org, I think, uh, he writes very much kind of same concepts that I talk about, like um, about si- simple life and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to describe him, but I think that's a very inspirational guy to me. And I don't really need to impress. I think I want to impress my parents just, but they're already happy with me. So it doesn't really matter. I want to, um, I want to try and stay, have like a stable, you know, happiness. Cause I've, I've been depressed a lot. I've, I've been anxious. I had like, especially when traveling, you go crazy in these, you know, in hotel rooms alone, like, um, traveling can, can, it brings you very deep into your own self and stuff. And I think the most important for me is to impress myself by just, you know, being stable and and having a stable, happy life with with people around me, and uh, yeah, like kind of wholesome life, you know. And that's my what, what goal. part of your life are you not impressed by? For your either yourself or Derek Sivers or if any if, if any of those people, right? You just mentioned like, like the you, lifestyle. You mean? Yeah. What what part yeah. of your life is not at that point where they uh, you you feel like it's not impressive in that way that. Well, I'm like, uh, I want to have a family too, like you guys. Uh, and that's what I'm working on. Um, and yeah, that's like, a, that's more of a, of a focus now, you know, like pretty uh, easy, by the way, you just got to do one thing. Yeah. I'll tell you about it. I'll tell yeah, you, you need about to find it the right girlfriend, you know, and then you need to like, <laughs> see if they're not crazy and you need to like connect and all this stuff. And I think, uh, yeah, that's, that's it done. Um, dude, Sean, I, I, you have a, 
Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I want to hear what this answer. No, I mean, like a little bit, like you, you say, like, like I think about Elon Musk. Every time Elon Musk presents something, you're like, oh fuck, like that's so cool. Like, why am I building shitty internet websites? This is my only life I have. I'm gonna die. I should do something bigger. But then I have to like bring myself back to like, no, it's cool. You're doing okay. Like, it doesn't really need to be bigger. But I mean, everybody wants to make like space rockets, I guess. But it's just so hard <laughs> to do that, you know. Sean, you um, you have a you have a dog, right? A little dog. I've got a big dog. How do oh, dude, I, I love, love dog? Yeah. Yeah. So you like animals. I love owning animals like big, aggressive looking dogs. That's what I'm, that's my <laughs> thing. It's like, a, I'm a weirdo. But how do you live this? The, the, I want to live a little bit more like you. It's, and I can do it, uh, a now because I have a little bit of money so I can just like pay for fancier Airbnbs that are pet friendly. And B, I can only do it basically in America. Doing this lifestyle with, abroad with an animal, even in America, I drive. You either have to fly private or you have to drive most places. Um, yeah. I drive most places. How do you how do you live this life with an animal? I don't have animals, but I want them. I had I had two cats with my ex girlfriend, and it was actually interesting. We went to in Bangkok to this this luxury apartment hotel, and they were cat friendly, and it was like this. You know, high society of Bangkok people with cute cats and cute dogs. In Asia, all the dogs are small. They like small dogs. I like big dogs too, like you, Sam. But, uh, and they walk around in the hotel and it's super cute. And they have like cats and dog ice cream and stuff and food. And, and they have little, like, a uh, uh, little beds for them to sleep in and stuff. And everything is serviced. And, uh, that's another big market, I think, you know. Uh, tech people with pets and stuff they want to travel as well dude have, um, sean have you looked into have you guys looked into flying in america with an animal so basically yeah, well, if you're why do you think i don't go places dude what am i supposed to do <laughs> well, with my but dog? Your, your animal's under 20 pounds right yeah she is but like that also means like she's not like tough enough to do all this stuff like we're like oh god how's she gonna handle this experience um you know of going on a seven hour flight or whatever yeah, but she yeah. she's the dog's able to. So like in term I don't I don't know if she's physically able to, but she's allowed to right. you could put it in a carrier and put it on your lap or like in the above whatever the yeah. suitcase thing. And if you have an animal that's above twenty pounds <laughs> who's putting their dog in the above thing? You can put your that's dog not that, <laughs> it's not like that no fucked air. up. I don't know, dude. It's like but it's like it's putting a, coffin, a blanket bro. over a uh, it's like putting a blanket <laughs> over a bird cage. It's I I don't know. That's just what or you put it underneath. You you put it underneath your whatever you fucking do. I don't know. I don't. I don't have one of these things. But uh, that's what they say on the directions when you look online. But uh, uh, like if you have an animal above twenty pounds, you cannot. Ba you basically cannot. This whole emotional support animal thing. That's kind of nonsense. That's uh, kind of getting phased out. Yeah, I heard you about cannot that. bring an animal, a, a dog, on a flight. I I'm always amazed that for popular routes, they don't have like a once a month or twice a month animal friendly route. dude it's going to happen it's absolutely going to happen it's a huge growing market i think because I a lot of rich tech people are not having kids sorry right i was gonna say i read something that one airline is like being like yeah we'll fly pets like i think they do a lot of pets in the cargo or whatever because most airlines have been phasing that out and one, i think it's southwest i forgot which airline some airline is making bank because they take all the pets and wow. uh it was like a differentiator it's like you know bags fly free but it's like yeah we we let you fly your pet and everybody else is yeah. saying no nowadays Man, I think you can do it. You can, I think it's all about slow matting. So if you do, if you move like every, let's say every six months, it's not that bad for the dog or the cat. Uh, and you, you give them a stable life in where you arrive and not too much chaos and stuff. I think it's okay. I think it's not okay if you keep moving like every week or every month. That might be a little stressful for the dog and the cat, right? But six months, like, yeah, it's okay. It, and especially you if you get the tweet. It was, uh, <laughs> what? 
you had a great tweet. It was, if you don't have a dog in your profile picture on Twitter, yeah. are you even trying? <laughs> it's a growth hack. It's the biggest growth hack, right? Sam has one, right? You have a Facebook picture, I think. Uh, yeah, because you guys use this on Tinder, right? This was a Tinder dating <laughs> trick. Like you, you, because they swipe right for the dog, not for you, but they still swipe right. So, yeah, I've noticed amazing. there's yeah. like two hacks. When I was single, if like if I ever walk around with like a niece or a nephew or, or like a kid. Uh, that's like an automatic door opener to meet women. And then the other one was having a, 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 a an aggressive but nice looking dog. It's like, yeah. oh, doors, I'm on. They're, they're disarmed. We're good. You yeah. know? <laughs> and why does that have yeah. to be aggressive, but aggressive looking, but nice? Is that one of those things where it's like dog owners look like their pets? And so if your dog yeah, looks like, a certain way, they'll think a- that about you. Yeah, they yeah. want to heal you, you know, like women want to heal you sometimes. Or like, it's like seeing a That's guy so with like sleeve tattoos who smokes cigarettes and a, and, a, and a tattoo under his eye who like, you know, just wants to like spend time and cuddle. You know, like it's right. like it's, a, so it's like a, it's, you know, you're, so you're, 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 you're eclectic. I don't know. It just works. Don't ask me. Uh, that just works. Yeah. Um, so, dude, I love Samoyed dogs, by the way, the, the big white polar bear dog, right? And I think it kind very of looks like me a little bit like it's it's so fluffy. It's like that's uh, a very Asian move of you. That's they're very popular <laughs> yeah. in Asia, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. What so. uh, I've seen him here too, yeah, but yeah. What are some? Is there anything that people assume about your life and your lifestyle and your businesses uh, that you like? For example, with the hustle as well as Sean's Milk Road, a lot of people are like. Oh, that's it. It's just a fucking newsletter. You just write these these words and you just hit send. That's so easy. Anyone can do it. And it's like, well, yeah. no, it's actually like a user acquisition play. Like you got to know how to do that. And then it's also like you're just not good at writing. Like you have to be good. And that's just talent. You either have it or you don't. And so that that's like some misconceptions about our businesses. What, what about yours? Is there anything that um, people always assume and you're like, no, because like people can anyone can copy you. Yeah, I think generally people think that every a website or app or company they're a customer of that is more simple than it actually is because you can't see behind the hood and it's actually way more complicated than you think because there's so many edge cases in every business that you need to code like if statements for or build like little scripts for uh, special features it's much more complicated and I think people realize that when they start because people always clone you right like they make a copycat of your website and somehow it doesn't take off because they've been able to copy the outside of it the aesthetic kind of but they don't know what's happening under the hood. So it's um, it's much more complicated. Like, dude, a job board is much more complicated uh, than you think. Like, um, fuck, how do you explain this? There's so many little parts that, you know, especially companies want. They want, you know, invoices for every little thing they add. Um, the price is dynamic, that kind of stuff. I, ba- I change job post pricing based on how many people post jobs on my site, for example. There's so much stuff happening behind the curtains that you don't see. Um, yeah, it's much more complicated. I also think the, lo- the misconception about yeah, sorry. And a lot of your stuff is automated to where like you don't have to be involved. It kind of runs itself. Yeah. You said everything's automated. Yeah. I Almost think ninety nine percent. And to post on your job board, it ranges from a hundred to a thousand dollars. I think of whatever the, the huge yeah, range for sure. Yeah, how, yeah. How would you for the like? I'm I'm tinkering with something that costs many many thousands of dollars a year. Is yeah. there? How would you figure out how to do that? Like, and so in my head, I'm like, fuck, I got to hire a bunch of salespeople. That sucks. Mm. Do you think that you could automate most things, even that are high ticketed items? Oh, for sure. Dude, I sell job post bundles for like 50K via Stripe, which wow. is like amazing for me to me. Like, I'm like, how wow, do you that, do that? That works. So you make a page called buy bundle and you have the, this 
you can go to remoteok.com slash buy dash bundle and you'll see like a slider where you can make your own bundle and get a discount based on it and it's all automated and you add your credit card and then you pay you know 50k or 40k whatever and how many people do that oh yeah it's it's like a lot of it's like 30 percent of the revenue i think bundles no shit so someone's using a debit card or whatever for 50k yeah, dude, these company cards, this is what, <laughs> this is lagging information. People don't know the company cards have been upgraded, I think, because they're using it for much more these days. Really, like, it's a lot of money. And I have no idea, like, I never thought, of, like, I don't, I'm not hiring people. I don't know how this works. I just tried, like, okay, maybe, I think companies ask me, like, can we buy a few job posts for in the future? I'm like, okay, I'll make this thing. And a lot of companies use this. So you figure out the features that people want based on uh, talking to them, of course. Dude, I'm looking at the sales page for this buy bundle. So buy 25, 25 jobs is $22,000. You do something interesting on your sales pages. Is you just pack it with information. And that's totally <laughs> the like, right yeah. move. But you pack it with text. <laughs> like you use icons to kind of break it up. Dude, emojis, like, yeah. I use emojis a lot. Yeah. No, it looks like a circus, right? But it, it kind of works. <laughs> it's not like well-designed, right? It's not like minimalist design. It's just like... I just add stuff every day and it just keeps growing, but it works kind of. What's the biggest purchase great. someone has made? I can scroll Guys, it all the way jump. up to Sorry. 100. I, I got another call. I got I to run to. Peter, this has been amazing. I got to go. Yeah, you nice to meet you, Sean. See ya. What's, uh, what, what's the, been the biggest per, uh, purchase that you've had? This scrolls all the way up to 150,000. I think uh, 50K or something, around 50K, maybe 49K. But that yeah. happens That happens a yeah, lot of times. Stripe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, yeah. this is crazy. Yeah, I'm working on this thing <laughs> and like it's like 10K a year and I'm like, oh man, I'm going to have to like get on the phone all the time. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. seeing but, you is quite in, in, insp- inspiring. But I get annoyed if I if I need to use, like I want to use these uh, location service APIs to figure out where are people traveling to, for example. And it's always like, you need to do a sales call. You need to like contact us and stuff. And I get so annoyed with it. And I know people on Twitter get annoyed with it that they can't get a price directly and sign up, you know, Um yeah, I think it's much easier to do like this, like a sales flow. Um, I think it's easier. I would argue maybe it's easier for it's me. Not. Yeah, it's easier yeah. for you. But I would actually argue there's there's a world where it's not effect, as effective though, because I w- I'm in the same boat as you. Is I don't want to have to do all this crap, and I'm not naturally a salesperson. But when I hired a sales team, and yeah. uh, they, they they shockingly were shockingly good at drumming up demand. And I remember a cool podcast with the founder of Squarespace, I think it was. And he was like you. He's an engineer. He's like, I don't want to leave my room. I don't like talking to people. I like freedom, this and that. (laughs) And he goes, the "The biggest, one of a huge mistake I made was I looked down on salespeople and I looked down on this like type of pricing where I think I got them on the phone. But he was like, I looked down on it and I was wrong. It it was effective. They they, They created demand for a product. And that surprised me most. So like, yeah. I don't know. I think no, I think you're right. I, th- I think my problem is that it's 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 been it's very hard to meet good salespeople or to find them, and it's unclear for me how I how I can hire them and, um, you know, I how can I rate uh, a person to hire them uh, as a good salesperson? I don't know what's a good salesperson, and I I've never done outbound, almost never done outreach and stuff, um, and I'm scared that if I hire salespeople, I need to manage them and then. You know, they might fuck up. They might start spamming everybody on LinkedIn. And then it becomes like a screenshot thing on Twitter. Like, look, Peter Levels is spamming with his website and stuff. So it might turn bad. And uh, But I think you're right. If you get the right salespeople, it can work. 
I just, I'd never been able to, you know, find those people. It just matters what you're optimizing for. If you're optimizing yeah. for happiness and a, and a well, if you're ha- optimizing for happiness and like a good life, do it your way. Your way is working really well. If you want to like grow at a certain rate per year and you want to really push it, I, I do think a salesperson is, is you do yeah. need a sales team, but that's not what you're optimizing for. You're optimizing for freedom. So and happiness. Yeah. And I, I also think there's, 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 there's different types of companies. For example, there's companies that ask for a lot of forms, like they want like a W-8 form, like all these US IRS forms and stuff. They want you to sign everything. They want you to sign an NDA. And, and there's some companies that just, you know, enter their credit card on Stripe and it's done. And it's different customers. And the customers that ask for a lot of questions on email, they generally convert less. For me, they pay less money and they are more of a hassle to, you know, do customer support for and stuff. Um, so you also, you, you get different types of customers. If you do it all automatic, you get more kind of modern customers uh, that are easier to deal with, I think. Possibly. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about? Um, no, I think, I think we, maybe transparency. Like the reason I'm so transparent is, uh, um, I think it's very, like I said before, I think it's very important to, to, to be honest and to, to show other people that you can build a, a, a nice indie company like this um, by sharing every like ups and downs of it. Um, and instead of, because everybody else is only sharing like the good things and the, we're growing so fast and we're hiring and we're funded and blah, blah, blah. And I think it would be cool if we did business in a, maybe in a more wholesome way where we, uh, you know, share everything and share the ups and downs and uh, yeah, maybe not grow super, super, super big, but more in a, you know, wholesome manner. <laughs> I have a I, I like that, but I have a few critiques. The first is yeah. I think that if you're high so you remember Buffer? So Buffer uh yeah, yeah, did that, yeah, yeah. Did, they yeah. did the whole shtick. Joel, yeah. They did it even more extreme well, equally as extreme as you, I would say. But they revealed yeah, one of my inspirations sal- for sure, yeah. But they revealed everyone's salary. And they did that. Yeah. I think they did it as a marketing shtick. They did it because they're like, well, like, you know, like our product's okay, it's good enough, but like let's come up with a, a cool shtick so we stick out. And it aligns with our philosophies. Great. And it worked really well for them. But I actually think that it probably hurts them after a while. It's really hard to do that after 100 or 150. I don't know what the number is. Some amount of employees because you're like, yeah, dude, yeah. I don't want my shit all out there. And yeah. when I, if I was you, like there, I don't like like when we sold our company, I didn't exactly reveal how much I made because I'm like, man, I don't want to be a target. I don't want people to take advantage of me. I don't want to be judged in a particular yeah. way. Um, I don't want that type of attention. So I'd rather just say like round whole numbers instead of like exactly no, what there's I a real, do. There's a real security risk for sure. Yeah. Like if you don't want to talk numbers. about where you are right now. And yeah, 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 part yeah, of it is yeah. because you're Yeah, for sure. 100%. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. So I think like that's, that's part of the downside. But at the, at the same time, it's a marketing. It's maybe it's agree, it agrees with your with your life philosophy. And also it's a pretty sick marketing shtick. Like, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I think it's all, it's hard to stop it because I've been doing it for so long. It's become part of my identity. It would be hard to like hide all this stuff now. And they're like, where did this open page go? Like, why are you not sharing anymore? I'm like, ah, I'm just done with it now. Um, you know, yeah. And, and I, I do think it's it's this recurring marketing machine that I think is a big part of why uh, my businesses work, became successful and why I got a lot of audience on Twitter is because of this. I cannot deny that. So it's very hard to quit that, right? Once you've been doing it for so long. Yeah, that's why I'm nervous about even doing it in the first place. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's kind of like a, I haven't 
gone hard on YouTube or any other social platform because I'm like, oh, I don't want a commitment. Uh, like yeah, you yeah. gotta keep Dude, up. With I wanted it. to do YouTube as well, and I have the same problem. Yeah, I'm like, this is gonna be a new recurring like activity I need to do every week. I, I need to upload a video, make a video. Yeah, I think there's a world where you could do seasons. You know, like a, a TV show has a season. I think there's a world where you could do seasons and do quite well, but uh, the majority of people do it like regularly. And I'm like, oh man, I don't want to get on that treadmill. That's scary. No, I think it burns you out. Like, look at all the YouTubers burning out. It's uh, they all it's bail. Extreme, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's extreme schedule. Yeah, I think season. My, I think it might be interesting if I just sit in front of the laptop like this and I just tell the stuff I I know and I think, and instead of writing it down and just making like little videos. Uh, Derek Sivers also did that. He he makes little videos about small topics. You know, five minutes explain something in the next video. And so yeah, Alex Hermosi cool, yeah. is doing it. Uh, the guy on our po- he came on our podcast, Alex Hermosi. He's been doing it lately, and he loves it. And he and it seems. It seems like a lot of kind of a lot of work, but not that much work. No more work yeah. than this podcast. And I don't consider this podcast to be too much work, um, but it works well. But, uh, dude, yeah. thanks for coming on. This has been fun. I uh, I hope you you will come on more often and we'll do dude, a little more to, brainstorming yeah. this time. Yeah, dude, it was um, super fun. Thanks for having me. Super. Cool. Yeah, hopefully we didn't. You, you said you were nervous because we were going to ask. No, but no, it's I don't, it's I don't normal, think we you know? asked anything. <laughs> we didn't ask anything crazy. Yeah, cool. There's not much to ask when you tell everyone on the internet about everything you do. Mm. Yeah. This is always when the good part of the podcast starts, right? Because you end it and then like the the real shit. Hopefully not. The, the real <laughs> stuff I uh, I hope was was going on yeah, the whole yeah, time. Yeah, no, it was great. But, um, yeah. Dude, thanks. This is awesome. Uh, you, pimp out your stuff. So it's at Levels. Yeah, it's uh, twitter.com slash Levels.io. So L-E-V-E-L-S-I-O. Um, and there's all the links on, for my websites there, so you can click from there. Thanks, dude. Thanks for coming. <laughs>